Hello, and welcome to the Peace Alliance Hope Story Circles, and welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. My name is Terry Mason. I'm on the board of the Peace Alliance, and I'm joined today by Yelena Popovich, who is our Teaching Peace in Schools lead, and Liz Graydon, who is our board chair to host the Hope Story Circle today. And our special guest today is Jim Natal. And I'm so happy to see you, Jim. I'm excited to have you share your poems today. Jim is an author of a poetry collection. So he's appeared widely in anthologies and journals, and we're excited to have you join us here today, Jim. Can you, can you come off mute and just say hello? I sure can. Thank you very much. You know, it's it's wonderful to be here and to oh, be wonderful. part of this. Wonderful. I'm so grateful. So, Liz, would you like to cover our community agreements? I, I would. Uh, at the Peace Alliance, we want to ensure that everyone who comes to the room has a feeling of welcoming and acceptance. So with that idea, we enter the room with the following community agreements. We enter the room, we want everyone to be real, engaged, and curious. We want to ask that everyone be fully present to listen. We wanna create a space for learning that honors all points of view and acknowledge discomfort and um, uh, for our feelings. We will do our best to address microaggressions or marginalizing language. So to that end, we ask that everyone act with empathy, compassion, um, and a desire for connection. So if anyone has any questions or clarifications they would like, if not, uh, we invite Yelena to start our call with her uh, meditation for the group. Thank you, Liz. Welcome, everyone. So good to be with you in this space. Um, yeah, so the invitation is to practice or to practice presence for a few moments. So I invite you to settle, um, to settle in your body any way that, body, that your body needs right now and inviting you to settle into spaciousness, to the spacious, open, loving awareness. You're welcome to close your eyes or have your eyes open, perhaps gazing downwards. And just take a moment to ground to the earth. Ground your feet to the earth and feeling the space that is beneath you. Feeling the space that is around you. Feeling the space that is above you. Just allowing to open to that space. 
allowing that spaciousness to enter this moment. To enter body, mind, or heart. Allowing it to soften, expand. As you settle into your posture, feeling the strong back, soft front, just relaxed, alert, awareness. Fighting some soothing breaths. Long, deep in-breath, slow, full out-breath, and again, long, deep breath, slow, out-breath. Providing a kind and receptive attitude to whatever is present for you in this moment. Resting between those breaths. Peace. As you breathe in, out. As we move to listening, Jim's story, just allowing his words to wash over you, to break conceptual king so that you can arrive here now listen in full presence one on in breath Slow out, allowing your eyes to flicker open if they were close. Just bring ourselves back to the screen, back to the community. Welcome, Jim, to the hope story. Welcome, Jim. Well, thank you, thank you, Yelena. I think I'm too relaxed to read. 
That's wonderful. Thank you very much. And, um, and thanks to Terry and, and Liz also for inviting me to be part of this wonderful series and organization that is working so hard to make a difference. I'm honored to participate. Um, a little sketch about me to start beyond the brief bio that was read. Uh, I was born and grew up on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I endured one Midwest snowstorm too many and moved to Los Angeles in 1976. I wrote poetry in high school and through college. And then as for so many of us, life got in the way and I didn't write for around 20 years. Then I got lucky, uh, poetry came back to me and I got a second chance. And so after a long corporate career, I went back to school in my 50s and got my MFA in creative writing. And I'm now a poet with a sixth collection on the way. I'm a literary presenter and with my wife, a small press publisher. So going back to that MFA program, one of my favorite classes was called The Artist in Society. And it dealt with the responsibility that artists and writers have to call out society's ills and injustices and tried to lead change through their work. Poets are truth tellers to power. And that's why going back to the time of Plato, they kill the poets first. But poets also are storytellers. There's narrative as well as the lyric poetry that most people think of. Uh, some of you may be old enough to remember Rod Stewart's song and album, Every Picture Tells a Story. Well, every poem tells a story or suggests a story or inspires a story or maybe helps retrieve a story from memory and invites revisiting it and perhaps understanding it or responding in a new way. So this morning, I'm gonna read two of my poems that are also stories that beyond the surface narrative, ask readers to re-examine and reframe the way they process assumptions. I write much more obviously political poetry, but I thought these two seemed appropriate. Uh, the first poem is called Moses, and it begins with an epigraph from uh, a wonderful poet by the name of B.H. Fairchild, who lives here in Los Angeles area. And the epigraph reads, the blonde and blue-eyed bringer of truth who will not easily be forgiven. Moses. My father told me this story just once, rare for him. Away at college, depression era Virginia, the days when he wore suits to class and the dogwood and azaleas bloom. It was a Friday night and he was playing poker on the Sabbath. Fraternity brothers, beer and white lightning, also a stranger who kept staring at my father 
over the spread fan of cards in his hand. Finally, my father had enough of the stranger's eyes. An athlete then, fit and handsome, he called the stranger's bluff, called him out, put his cards face up on the table and asked, what are you staring at? Did the boy, these were college boys, don't forget, blink or abruptly stand, the others at the table, perhaps catching the first scent of rain in the air before the storm arrives. When the boy responded, his words were whittled from tones of the purest, deepest South. Are you a Jew? The Southern boy asked. Asked. My father said he was. The boy spoke again, but he said, you don't have any horns. The way my father told it, he didn't hit the boy, though he wanted to. The reason he didn't fight, my father said, was because the boy was serious, incredulous, shaken. All his life, this boy had been told that Jews had horns, like Michelangelo's marble Moses. And now, face to face with this first Jew in the flesh, the Jew had nothing on his head, not even a yarmulke. My father stopped his story there, did not describe the other boy or mention if he ever saw him again. Was he dirty, blonde, and lanky, Adam's apple protruding from a banded collar, shoulders braced by suspenders? No, that would be too easy a stereotype. Was the boy the first from his family to ascend to college? A good possibility then. And what, I wonder, did the Southern boy do that night after the game broke up and the stone tablets became his? Did he brood on the mountain, carry the weight forever in silence, a holy rage repressed? Or did he take it down to his people, go home and topple the idol, this boy of gold, now fallen himself? And I, in my own college haze, did not think to ask my father, why are you telling me this? Why now? Never expecting that it would be the first and only time. After some thought, I came up with another poem that I thought would complement this and, and work toward a theme. <clears throat> and the second poem is called Not Roses, and the fact that the titles of the two poem rhyme was strictly coincidence. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with this, see what you think. Not roses. There were roses on the beach this morning, yellow roses. And I can't remember what that color means. Red is for love, 
passion, blood. But yellow is the color of giving her the flowers and having second thoughts. Anniversaries hold meanings too. The first anniversary is paper, as in 12 months of playing with scissors and rock. The 50th is supposed to be golden. My parents celebrated theirs, and then my father died. White lilies conjure funerals or Easter. Do white roses then signify the end of the affair or the resurrection of good love gone bad, gone good again? There are silver roses and peach. Roses black as lingerie lace and coral with frills lined like lips. But it was yellow roses that littered the tide line among branches of sea grape, shards of shell, and peaks of drying foam. My wife loves potpourri spiced with rose petals curled like open palms waiting for withheld water. Those roses strewn so carefully implied a feminine hand. A man would have thrown them in a heap or tossed them out the window of a fast-moving car or made a game out of banking them into an open bin, best two out of three. So possibly, here's the story. She took a midnight walk along the sand, dropping roses one by one. He loves me not, he loves me not. No, too pastoral for the sea. Or perhaps this, last night, she waded waist deep into the ocean. Yes, skirts billowing, aqueous as jellyfish, scattering roses upon the surface, yellow roses, a lovelorn floating floral poem weaving waves and thorns. Roses, yellow roses, meaning not loss or bereavement, or disappointment turned to grand dramatic gesture, or cynical soured romance, frustrated desire, a heart unrequited yet again, meaning none of that, and all of that, and maybe nothing more than this very morning on this very shore. There's a reason that I wanted to put these together because we all make up stories about what we see and who we meet, then extrapolate from context and circumstance. But are our assumptions, which may be based on rumor or what we've always been told, are they true? In this time of miscommunication and distrust, misleading innuendo and intentional deception, it's our responsibility, I think, as members of civil society, artists or not, to reflect before acting and get the story straight before telling it. I look forward to your comments. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much. Liz, 
what do we want to focus on in the breakout rooms? Yeah, Jim, thank you again. And uh, for those of you who are new, we always meet with our storyteller ahead of time and, and listen to the story and think of an inquiry. And as I was contemplating it, Jim, I thought about a question I have been asking people a lot. Uh, some of you are new to the Peace Alliance and one of the, one part of our mission in everything we do is to talk, think about how do we shift from a culture of violence to a culture of peace, right? That's a question we work on a lot. And I was having that conversation, Jim, recently, and a name struck me. You talked about going back to school <laughs> uh, in your 50s. And I, I said a name out loud that I hadn't said since I was uh, in college. And that was Archimedes. I said out loud Archimedes and I said, didn't Archimedes once say that if you give me a lever long enough and a place to stand, I can move the world? And so I thought, what's the lever long enough to shift to a culture of peace? And I've been asking a lot of people that question. And I was thinking about your story and I thought everyone, sometimes it's not so much finding an answer, it's asking a question. And I think in your telling, you gave, your answer in this moment that I was seeing so clearly is poetry, right? Poetry, and especially the two poems you picked, for me, are a lever long enough to shift the culture. Because what I loved about uh, your two stories, Jim, was art in general and poetry specifically, and these two poems very specifically, invite us to challenge an assumption, right? They invite us to enter someone's world, whether the world is the young man across from him or the unseen person who left the flowers, right? And, and in the place between the assumption and the reaction is time for a response. Right, and that the poems both invited a creative response, whether it was the literal creative response um, in the story of your father or the invented creative response of the flowers. So I guess what the inquiry I would like to invite you into today is having listened to these, can you think of a time when just hearing, seeing, observing a work of art whether that work of art was a poem or a statue or a story or a movie that invited you to challenge an assumption, especially if it was a long held assumption. And I think that uh, if that's okay with you, Jim, that's kind of what I would love to hear response is specifically using the two stories that you gave as, as a starting point. Is there a time you can remember when experiencing a work of art invited you to challenge an assumption? All right. <clears throat> okay. We're going to go into breakout rooms now. And um, for those of you who might be new to our, our Hope Story Circle, in the rooms, our, our guidelines are to listen with your heart, to speak from your heart, to say just enough so that others have an opportunity to share. And if you're not inspired to share your own story or your own response, then give the gift of listening. And we'll be back together in about 15, 20 minutes. I'll give you a three minute warning. So I'm gonna pause the recording now and then we'll be back soon. Well, welcome back everyone. I'm eager to see and hear 
what people have to share. We had a lovely conversation in the big room. So who would like to share? You can come off mute and share your thoughts. I'll say something. Thank you, we, we, we were in the number ones having a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'm involved in muster and main storytelling and our motto is the shortest distance between two people is a story. And how by sharing our own stories that, that, that the people that are listening can, you know, they gain a, a greater understanding. At the same time, there are really two stories going on. One is the one that's being told and that's all the one that's kind of going on in the, in the listener's ears or in their head. And I also share religious studies as my academic background. And I, I wrote a book on Mormon missionaries, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, these young missionaries that go out and knock on your door. And this one young gentleman told the story of he didn't know how many times they knocked on people's doors. And the first thing the person said was, I know you Mormons, you've got horns on your head because you're, you, you're, you know, you're of the devil. And the kid said, finally, he just said, I leaned in and said, Madam, do you want to feel my head and see if I have horns? And he did. And she said, you don't have horns. And he felt that regardless of the religious message that got through that day, that he felt that, well, at least they know that Mormons don't have horns after all. So that, yeah, that, was, that was his piece. Yeah. And the question comes up, you know, the same as in the, in the poem. Now that you have that knowledge, what do you do with it? Yes. Do you share it? She stand up at the next church meeting or gathering and go, guess what? Mormons don't have horns. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe not. Or maybe she'll just keep that to herself. Could be. Yes. Thank you, Rob. Who else would like to share? Feel free to come off mute. Wow. Quiet group. Well, it's just that my poetry just stunned everybody into silence, right? Yeah. That happens all the time. Don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> And then you turn on your camera. Were you going to say something? No. No, I just wanted to show him my smile because he makes me smile. But I do uh, appreciate, um, Jim, that you went back for your MFA in your 50s. I'm in my 50s now, and I, I still daydream about writing more and, and being more active. After I was telling Carolyn, we were in the room together, that I have these seedlings of ideas, and then I don't act on them. Um, and I would love that. I would love to be a part of a think tank where I go, I wake up every day and go to a room with a bunch of other creators. And we just create every day and say, I have this idea and see how together as a hive mind, we can bring it to fruition. Um, so I'm just sharing that. <laughs> I love that idea. Thank you. Well, it's, you know, if you can find a few people, try it. I mean, 
I've been part of a workshop group. In fact, one of the the people that I that I've workshopped with uh, is was here today. I, I assume she's still here, and um, we've been working together for twenty five years, yeah. more than twenty five years now, and we meet once a month. Although we met more in the earlier days but now we still meet once a month and a few people have come a few people have gone but mostly it's the same core group and it's wonderful i don't know how i would function as a, as a writer without that group because i trust them and that's what you need is people you trust who won't just say oh that's great you know anything you write you want to have constructive criticism and and this particular group you know i know when i bring a poem in I know where the weak parts are, you know, I'm pretty sure of them. And they jump on them. They jump on those spots. They never miss a, a time that, that I don't, that they don't see where the weakness is. And that's what makes it better. It helps. But it's so great if you can, you know, that makes all the difference to have a few people. And I remember what we did um, is when we first started meeting, we uh, after a while we said you know we're kind of tired of hearing ourselves so we actually pooled some money and invited a, a major poet to come to our group meeting and to work with us that day and that ended up being we, we stayed with him for i don't know how many years on a, on a monthly and weekly basis for some of us and it was wonderful mm. and it helped us grow so much as artists but just, but the hardest part as you're discovering is, is just starting, just doing it, you know, and try it, you know, nobody has to see it. I, I can share something. It'd be easy to have. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, you. Like, you know, I say before, like I am a staff member of Tomorrow's Woman. It's a peace um, camp. We bring Palestinian and Israeli teenagers. And one of our activity, we have, a, <clears throat> we like a, teach them like a through poem. Uh, and it's in, uh, we have it in English, in Hebrew, and in Arabic. And the poem is for the Mahmoud Darwish. He's Palestinian. And the poem is about think of the other. Mm. Yeah, and it's um, and also like uh, the girl, they when they hear the um, the poem after that they need to share stories from their experience about think of the other, and I felt like uh, when when we doing it through poem, it's like uh, really different. They bring uh, strong stories from this uh, uh, girl, and also me, I am a counselor trainer. And also the, the council, it's like about, we share stories from our experience and it's really, and we practice compassion and patience. Yeah, and uh, it was like a um, really pleasure to hear, to listen to the poem, even like, uh, you know, I, I, the English is not the, uh, main language of me this is the third language and i understand the whole concept but not everything thank you very much thank I'm you happy. yeah and also next month we have the camp in santa fe 
Oh. For three weeks, yes, we're back to do oh, it after wonderful. the corona, yes. Three weeks, we will be in Santa Fe from, yeah, with the Palestinian and Israeli girls. Well, that's wonderful to have. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to just share that I posted some links in the chat. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast, the Peace Alliance brings the Hope Story Circles to you. Our mission is to educate, advocate, and mobilize people into action to transform systems and public policy toward a culture of peace. And our vision is we cultivate peace building to create a world where everyone and everything thrives. So the website is peacealliance.org. There's also a link to our Peace on Podcasts. There's many podcasts on our podcast channel. And also a link to a page about our story circles. We're having these circles the second and fourth Saturday of every month right now. And we'd love to have you all come back again. Uh, there's also a link to our Blueprint for Peace. This is something we've had going for a while. It's a major initiative in the United States to make peace and nonviolence an effective organizing principle in our, in our government. And if you sign the petition, messages will go to all of your elected officials to let them know that you support policies related to nonviolence and building peace. <clears throat> also a link to our page about the Department of Peacebuilding Legislation, HR 1111, which is um, to create a cabinet level Department of Peacebuilding in our government. We are a small nonprofit. We appreciate donations of any size, especially our monthly donors. We appreciate our peace partners that give us sustainable income. Even a small amount helps very much. And our calendar of events, peacealliance.org slash calendar. And you can see what else we have going on and come and join us. We'd love to see you again. So with all of that said, Liz, do you want to wrap us up? Yeah, I was trying to think of, of, of what to say. And I'm thinking of something that came up in our, in our group. And I, when I was a very young girl, I, I didn't find a lot of poetry I identified with. I just didn't. I, I enjoyed it. My father loved poetry and he would read it. And it wasn't until high school. I, I studied Spanish and I took a Latin American literature class. And when I was reading the poems and it was my second language, but by the time I got to the poetry class, I was fairly fluent. So I read them in the natural language and I responded way more at an emotional level to the literature I was reading from Latin America than I did to any poem I remember reading in English. And I used to wonder, Jim, um, and we'll have time in the last minute if you want to say a brief thing. I thought the poems that they were bringing to us were people who created poetry in times of either great oppression or great or or war or. And I thought to put to put words to paper, to put ink to paper, came at a cost. And I really just felt you had better have something you really need to say if you're going to risk putting pen to paper in certain places. And so I just felt I responded to poetry. And that's what awakened my love for poetry. It was it was in a language that wasn't my own. Uh, so I thought maybe if we always send you off with kind of a thought for the next couple of weeks. And I thought if each of us maybe invite ourselves to think about a poem specifically, Right, that that awakened either our love and poem or that we memorized or that we thought about. And and just to kind of remember that feeling it brought. 
I don't know if you you know in our last minute and if you wanted to just have a response to that, that that's it when 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 we were talking to the big group I thought about the first poems that really struck me and they were not in my own language mm -hmm. well I think um Spanish language poetry is phenomenal mm -hmm. as is uh, there's a whole book I have of Polish poetry war, you know from the wars mm -hmm. and it's absolutely stunning it's mm -hmm. just a whole different sensibility and um, kind of that magic reality realism is is in the Spanish language it's very calm and one of the I mean one of the nicest compliments I ever got in a poetry workshop was I brought a poem in and someone asked me if I had written it in Spanish first because, and and I went, you mean like it sounded like a Spanish poem, you know? And they said, yeah. And yeah. I've never forgotten that because that would be a goal. That would be something I aspire to. And I think, as I said, you know, in our little group, so many people in other countries have a background in poetry. They, they, they mm -hmm. can recite poems by heart, not because they had to in school, but because they love it and they, they want it. And it can change you and it can change your outlook. And that's what we, I think for speaking for myself, but I think I speak for many poets, you know, that's what you want to do. You want people to be changed after they read your work. Well, thank you again, Jim. So yeah, on behalf of Terry and, and Yelena and the Peace Alliance, we want to thank you for your story and being here and thank all of you who are participating or who are listening. Yes, Take thank care, you. So everybody. Much. Feel free to come off mute and say goodbye. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for Thanks everything. Thanks you all. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org.